Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. I was in outside sales, inside sales. I did sales for the first 15 years after I came out of college. And so for the first 15 years, I, I spent in sales before I became a pastor. And I tell people I was more blessed than I was good as a salesperson. I just, you know, the blessings of God would, would, would overtake me, and I was grateful for that. Here was, here was one of my challenges. If I was a conviction salesperson, if I did not believe that the benefits outweighed the cost, I had a hard time selling it. If I didn't think it was really going to benefit somebody, I just, I wasn't one of these guys that they said could sell ice to Eskimos. You ever heard that? Could sell ice, to, ice water to Eskimos. I, I wasn't that guy. But if I believed that what I was presenting would really help somebody, would really be a blessing in their life, man, I was all in. We've been doing a series all month long on times like these. It was taken from this text right here when Paul talked to Timothy. He said, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous times will come. And we've been talking about different aspects of what's going on today and how we handle that. But one of the things that I want to keep, keep emphasizing is this. There are costs associated with being a believer, but the benefits outweigh the cost. And so as we begin to look, you say, well, you, say you mean it cost? Yeah, it's a mistake if we tell people, hey, come to Jesus and everything is going to be wonderful. It does not work that way. It will work that way one day. In heaven, it's going to be wonderful. Eat all you want. You won't get fat. Everything is going to be good. It's going to be wonderful in heaven. You don't get old, no wrinkles. You're not tired, no doctors, no hospitals. It's going to be good, but we're not there yet. We're not in the sweet by and by. We're still in the nasty now and now. And so in that, in that, we have to understand that there's costs associated. Some of the costs of this. If you are a committed Christian, you believe in the Lord, you're a committed believer, you may lose some respect in some circles. In some circles, and I'm thinking of academic circles are, are a big one, especially in the college and university level. If you're a believer, they, look, they can be very dismissive. Uh, a lot of the media is very dismissive of Christians. Uh, and, and some other you know, circles that, where intellect is, is prized if, you, if you're a Christian, they look at you like you're, like you're stupid. And uh, they're wrong, but that's, they're very dismissive in that. And if you're a committed Christian, there's a cost involved, but sometimes it will cost in relationships. Right now, I know three people that just within the last year have had dating relationships that dissolved because of a different commitment level. And so Jesus can be the dividing line in relationships. And I, I think we need to be realistic. I mean, Joy, uh, that was really the dividing line with the relationship she had before she and I met. She broke up with the guy she wanted to pursue and go on with God. He really wasn't as interested in that. And that began, to, that began to drive the wedge in between them. And it cost her her relationship. But look at the benefit she got. <laughs> it worked out so well. It can, it can cost you in terms of reproach. Uh, respect, relationships, reproach. Reproach is an expressed criticism. If you're a believer, 
Sometimes you can catch criticism. In an old country church years ago, they, they were hiring a new pastor. He was young, just right out of fresh out of Bible school. He'd come to church his first Sunday to preach. An old deacon who'd been in the church for years and years comes and sits down on the front row and right beside him was his hound dog. And preacher saw that, young preacher saw that. He said, we're, we're not having this. And he grabbed that dog by the collar and marched him out the center aisle and threw him out the door and closed the door. And the whole church went, because they knew this deacon. He wasn't too deacon-like. And they're like, uh-oh, this is gonna get ugly. Deacon never said a word, sat there. But after the service, the whole church piled out first so they could see the confrontation between the preacher and the deacon. Preacher standing there shaking hands. You might remember the day we stand and shake hands at the, at the back. Yeah, that's a little hard to do with four exits. But anyway, um, <laughs> he was standing there shaking hands at the only exit and the old deacon walked up and he put his hand out and he said, Preacher, I want to thank you for kicking my dog out of the service. And the preacher was surprised. He said, well, thank you, sir, for your maturity. Deacon just smiled at me. He said, yep, I wouldn't have had my dog hear that sermon for all the money in the world. <laughs> criticism is a part of it. But, but criticism that we deal with today is maybe you say something on social media and someone blows you up for your Christian views or you, you get pushback from someone else. And so criticism, express criticism is part of the cost. You know, in other nations of the world right now, their cost is a lot more than criticism. Some nations right now, if you're a believer, it can cost you your life. And I uh, heard a man say one time, in other nations of the world, they fear the raised fist. In America, we have feared the raised eyebrow. The cost involved. But the benefits outweigh the cost. Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy was sunny. He said, Timothy, you need to exercise yourself in godliness. He said, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness, living for God, is profitable for all things that has promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. Leave it up there just for a moment. When he said bodily exercise profits a little, this is not your excuse to never exercise. This is what he's saying. Actually, the, the real literal rendering is bodily exercise profits for a little time. It'll profit down here. But I, how many of you know, if you do exercise, you are going to feel better. And if you exercise yourself, you live for God, you're a committed believer and you live for God, you will feel, you can take it down, you will feel better as well. You say, what do you mean feel better? I mean the peace of God and the joy of the Lord and the strength that comes on the inside. You can't buy that. You can't shoot it up. You can't drink it. It's powerful and it's real. And so when you have a relationship with him, I'm going to tell you something, you feel, just being able to lie down at night, put your head on the pillow and go to sleep without worrying yourself to death, how priceless that is. If you're a committed believer, you're going to feel better. If you're a committed believer, it's going to help you with your relationships. Now listen to me on this one. We hear people say, in fact, when I was putting this together, a song came back up to me from 1977. Yes, I was alive then. I was graduating from high school then, and the song was Andy Gibb. I just want to be your everything. And, and that was the lyrics of the song. Andy Gibb was one of the BG's younger brothers. And I wasn't a big Andy Gibb fan, but that song just played over and over again that summer. But it says, I want to be your everything. Open up the heaven in your arms and let me be. 
a thing you are to me and not a puppet on a string. And then he says, if I lived here without you, darling, if I lived without you, I would die. And so we got people going, I want to be your everything. And if you're not in my life, I'm going to die. Listen, no one can take that much pressure. No one can be your everything. And if you're expecting somebody to be your everything, hey, listen, if you're about to get married and you go, oh, he's my everything, she's my everything. I got news for you, sweetheart. You need to change that. Because <laughs> that bloom's going to fall off that rose in about a few months. You're going to wake up and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought you were going to be my everything. You're a lot more than I bargained for. <laughs> we weren't meant to be someone's everything. But the stronger our relationship with the Lord, the less pressure we put on people. I love my wife, but she's not my everything. She's a lot. But I don't, I'm not depending on joy to make me happy. The more of the relationship I have with the Lord, I don't put pressure on her. So we don't put pressure on people as much. That helps relationships. We've, we're, we're doing better on the inside. We have peace on the inside. That's a benefit. And here's another benefit. Paul said, godliness, living for God, it works in two realms. It profits this life and the life to come. You do realize, guys, that this earth is the most temporary thing we'll ever do. That we have eternity, and that's a long, long time. And so what we do now, living for God now, man, that'll bless us and help us now. But not only now, it helps us in the next life. It makes all the difference then. There was a story told of an old missionary couple who had served most all their life in Africa. And they were coming back on a boat. This was years ago. They were coming back on a boat from Africa, going to land in New York City. And they happened to be riding on the boat with President Teddy Roosevelt, who had just been on a big game safari and was coming back. And the missionary man was telling his wife, he was kind of grouching about it. He said, everyone's making such a big deal over the president. He said, we've given our life for God and everyone's talking about the president. And sure enough, when they landed, the president had like a band there and the mayor of New York City and every, the press was there. They were all taking pictures, but nobody celebrated this little missionary couple as they slipped off the boat and found an apartment in New York City. It kept bothering the, the man. He kept telling his wife, he said, this isn't right. This isn't right. We've given our heart to God. We've given our life for God. And things. he said, it's just not right. He said, we're, we're not being treated fairly. And the wife told him what my wife tells me sometimes. Why don't you talk to the Lord about that? He said, okay, I will. And he went into his bedroom and he, and he was praying in his bedroom. And, and then he walked out. It didn't take him long. He walked out in a few minutes. His whole face looked different. She said, what happened? He said, well, I settled it with the Lord. He said, I told the Lord, Lord, it's just not fair that no one celebrated us coming home, that our homecoming, nobody was there, nobody celebrated us. He told his wife, he said, it's just like the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and said, son, you're not home yet. We've got another life beyond this one, and that's home. And I bet when that couple hit heaven, there were plenty of people celebrating them coming in. So we have to remember the benefits. They work in this life and they work in the life to come. Daniel was a person, we've been looking at his life all, all month long. Daniel and his four friends. Daniel is someone who understood the cost of having a relationship with God. 
He understood it because it cost him. His friends understood that. And the, probably the most famous story of Daniel is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was over, he had a new king, King Darius. Daniel was over the uh, three governors. And Daniel was, he was just doing such a great job. He was about to become the chief guy, like the number two guy in the entire empire. And we see what happens next. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, that was the administration, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to settle, setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not find, they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find anything, any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And the governors and the kingdom and the administrators, satraps and counselors and advisors have consulted together. So they went to the king and they consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So they came up with this, this idea. 30 days, nobody can pray or talk to any other god. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Daniel distinguished himself. But Daniel distinguished himself not by being harsh or unkind. He distinguished himself because he had an excellent spirit about him. That Daniel handled things in such a way that with wisdom and with faithfulness, the Bible said he was faithful. So in other words, he was someone the king could trust. He was honest. He handled his business with wisdom. He had to be a positive guy because the king wanted to put him over the whole realm, he wanted to make him the number one guy in the, in the whole kingdom besides him. Now remember, he's living in a kingdom where no one even honors God, but he had such a, he had such a, a life that they couldn't even find any areas to exploit except the fact that he had this relationship with God. So they came up with this idea, 30 days, nobody gets to petition any man or God. No, you can't ask any man or any other God except the king. I guess that appealed to the king's ego, and he signed it. But when Daniel knew that it was signed, Daniel had a relationship with God that was big in his life. It was a big part of his life. Because they said he, as soon as, when he knew it was signed, he went up to his room, he opened his windows. They often pray and face Jerusalem. He's praying and facing Jerusalem three times that day as he'd been doing since early. In other words, Daniel had established a pattern of prayer and he wasn't gonna stop. And Daniel, even though he knew there was a decree signed, even though he knew it may cost him being thrown into the, the den of the lions, he continued to do that because Religion is easy to drop. Relationship is not so much. Daniel had a relationship with God. And he believed that his God was bigger than the lions. And he believed his God was bigger than the fear. So he prayed. Had a, he's talking and connecting with the God of heaven and earth. And sure enough, he got caught. Men caught him, took him, arrested him, brought him before the king, said, King, here's the deal. You signed this petition. We found Daniel praying. He goes into the lion's den. 
Now, this is interesting because the king, Darius, was the most powerful king in the world at that time. And he was thinking of ways that he could get out and work a loophole and get around it. And he tried. And he couldn't do it. And finally they went to him and they said, King, the law of the Medes and the Persians says that if you sign a decree, it cannot be reversed. And the king, even at his own detriment, had to keep his own laws. Wow, that's a novel thought. A ruler who actually keeps the laws of the land. That is a great idea. But I digress. So here he is. He's got to keep the laws of the land and they've got to throw Daniel into the lion's den. So they take Daniel, they put him in the den, they sealed the, they sealed the den up they, and they, the king put his signet on there. It's sealed. No one can break it. And the king goes back. He's the most powerful man in the world and he did not have answers and he did not have peace. Look what happened next. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. He's not eating. No musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice. He's sad. He's, he knows Daniel's dead. The king spoke and said, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him, commanded he should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Man, I love that story. Now, what's interesting was the most powerful guy in the world had no answers and he had no peace. This king, they said he, he couldn't eat that night. He, he, man, he told the musicians, no, skip the playlist. You know, they didn't have like a phone with a playlist, so you had to have the live musicians come in. He's like, no, skip, don't, I won't hear any music. He couldn't sleep. He had no peace. I, it, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I will bet you that Daniel slept better than the king did. Here he is, the most powerful man in the world, and he has no answers and he has no peace. Guys, let me tell you something. If your faith and confidence is in men and in rulers, you are making a mistake because they will let you down and they don't have the answers. It's still God who has the answers then and God who has the answers now. And so this king can't sleep. And he goes, he goes to the, he goes early in the morning. Now he knows. He does not believe that Daniel made it. He doesn't believe in Daniel's God. He doesn't believe in his own gods. And so he goes to the den. He knows Daniel has just been a meal. And so he calls out, Daniel, lamenting, oh, Daniel, are you alive? Are you, are you there? And Daniel speaks back with a calm voice, oh, king, live forever. That was kind. Oh, king, who threw me in this place, live forever. Then he said this. He said, God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. You know what, it, it, it's, I don't know if Daniel saw the angel or not, but I want to tell you something. Lions have more than just teeth. They have claws. But evidently, this, these, these angels kept those lions away from Daniel. They didn't, they said, because when they brought him up, there wasn't a scratch on him. There was not a scratch on him. The God of heaven and earth is bigger than lions. And he stopped the lions from hurting Daniel. And you see where Daniel's faith was important. It said Daniel was delivered because he believed his God. Daniel had a faith in God and a trust in God because he had a relationship with God and it delivered him from the lion's den. A little add, side note to this, they said Daniel prospered 
or every, in, in every, every kingdom, in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus, the king of Persia, everywhere that Daniel went, God enabled him to prosper. Even in a godless, anti-God culture, Daniel still prospered and still did well. And if God did that for Daniel, he can do that for us. So how do we face the lions of today? How do we deal with the pressure and the threats, the cost of being a believer? I think one of the first things, the best things we do is we need to live a life that stands out. We need to have a life that stands out for the right reasons. The right reasons. That we have an excellent spirit about us. When Paul wrote Timothy, he wrote Timothy. Timothy was a young man who was the pastor of a large church in Ephesus. And he was young and people were giving him a hard time about his youth. So Paul writes this. He said, Timothy, let no one despise your youth. That word despise means look down on. Let no one look down on your youth, but be an example to the believers. One translation says, be an example of the believers. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Leave it up there just for a moment. I want you to notice what he didn't tell Timothy. He didn't say, Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but be a good preacher. He didn't say, Timothy, let no one despise your youth, but you need to dress sharp. Brother, if you dress sharp, that's going to be an answer there, and no one can look down on you. He didn't say, Timothy, you're a good-looking guy, so just use your looks and your charm, and that's going to go. No, what he told Timothy was something that can actually apply to all of us. He said, Timothy, let your character outshine your critics. Be an example in your words, in the way you live, in your love, in your spirit, your attitude, in your faith, and in your purity. And if you can do that, Timothy, he said, then your, then your life is, is going to be such that they may look at you and go, well, he's young, but this, this guy is the real deal. Listen, that's what something we can do. We can live a life so that we're known for our honesty and our faithfulness, and our words are good, and we love people, and we got a good spirit about us, and we have some purity about us, and we are people of faith. We can let our character speak loud. And when our character speaks loud, a life lived is the best sermon preached. This is what speaks to people. I was reading something about a, a, a survey they did, and actually it was a whole research study University of Michigan and Yale University did a number of years ago. And they were trying to find non-glamorous jobs and how people coped with them. So they narrowed it down. They said, okay, here's a non-glamorous job. We're going to look at hospital janitors, hospital janitorial staff. And they began to research this, and they found a hospital in the Midwest that completely surprised them. Because in this hospital was a subset of housekeepers who believed that they were different. This, this, house, this group of housekeepers did not think that they were part of the janitorial staff. They thought they were part of the professional staff. They thought they were part of the healing team. They saw themselves as being part of helping people get well. And so a box of Kleenex or a glass of water, they would learn families' names. They would do little things just to help because they saw themselves in a different role. And because they saw themselves in a different role, in fact, the, the researchers called them job crafters. He said because they came up with a role that added value to what they were doing and was a blessing to other people. And when I read that, I thought, this is what we need to do as believers. 
as believers, we need to, to, to not just add on our Christianity. In other words, well, you know, I'm a pastor and a father and a grandfather and a guy and Southern and a Christian. No, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ first. I have a relationship with him first. And because of that, then I'm a pastor and a father and a husband and all those other things. But the first thing I am is I am a branch on the vine. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so if we begin to see ourselves not as simply, well, I, I do the Christian thing on Sunday or I do the, the Christian thing during the work or I got a bumper sticker or a plaque. If we begin to see ourselves, we're part of God's representatives. We're on his ministry team. We're part of his healing team for a generation that's in darkness. And because of that, actually, you're all on the church staff. You're not paid. Don't ask me for a paycheck, but you're all on the church staff. We represent him. We represent, say, when you leave here, say, do I represent the ark? Well, really you represent the Lord Jesus and you go here. Listen, as your pastor, I can promise you, I feel this. When I go out, I realize I'm the pastor. I need to at least look semi-presentable when I go out in public. I, listen, because I'm the pastor, I don't use my horn near as much as I would like to use it. Because I recognize that I represent, I represent this church. But what if we all represented the Lord and said, I am, represent the Lord first in my job, in my neighborhood, in my family. And that causes me to stand out for a different reason. I had a, we have a, a missionary that I knew years ago that came to the ark when we were in the roller rink. His name was Paul Chase. He and his wife were missionaries to the Philippines. Now the Filipino people are not a big people. Paul was about 6'3", his wife was six feet and blonde. He said, everywhere we go in the Philippines, he said, we stand out. He said, it's an advantage. He said, we're always reminded that we're on a mission. He said, because we don't fit in with the people. He looked at the church, he said, your problem is you fit in. And I thought, boy, isn't that the truth? We've tried to fit in so much instead of stand out. But when we stand out for the right reasons, it's a blessing to the people around us. We can stand out for our, our words. Our love. Second thing. Second thing is this. Looks like I'm running long again. That's all right. We'll be out of here in another hour. It's good. <laughs> Just want to see if you're listening. All right. Make our relationship with God a bigger part of our lives. Make our relationship. Listen, we're living in dark times. We need more of God in our lives, not less. Thank you for three amens and a grunt. We need more of him. And when I'm, I'm not advocating quit your job and go to Bible school. What I am saying is, wherever you are in your relationship with the Lord, you can take one step closer. You can take one step, you say, in what areas? Prayer, scripture, serving, giving, how you live? One step closer. Lord, I want more of you in my life. I need more of you. I want you to have a bigger part. What, what blessed Daniel was, God was big to him. The more big God is to him, the more stuff down here doesn't matter as much. You say, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, let's start with developing even a greater consciousness of God. How about that? I'll, I'll get you started. Here's homework. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That'll keep us busy. Just rejoicing. Have you rejoiced lately? Well, yeah, I rejoiced this morning. No, it says rejoice always, not just Sunday. 
Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing does not mean quit your job and pray. It just means keep an attitude of prayer where you're talking to the Lord. He hears you. You're talking to the Lord all the time and giving thanks always for all things. This is the will of God. You say, well, Alan, how can I give thanks for triple digits? I'm giving thanks in the situation knowing the triple digits will not last forever. The heat, this heat dome will end and I know it will end. So I can give thanks, Lord, thank you. And I want to thank you, Lord, for air conditioning. And you say amen for air conditioning. So, so what do I say? What are we doing? When we rejoice, when we pray, when we give thanks, we're creating a greater consciousness of God. And as God gets bigger in our life, listen, you say, well, Alan, that's going to cost me some time. That's going to cost me something. Yeah, it's going to cost you something. But the benefits outweigh it. The co any cost that you pay to get closer to God, the benefits are far greater in this life and the life to come. Here's the last one, and it's this. God is still bigger and stronger than the lions that come our way. The God we serve is bigger than the culture we're in. The God we serve is bigger than the darkness we're in. And so our faith makes a difference here, guys. First John 5, 4, Paul is, Paul is talking and he writes, he said, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, you are already a world overcomer. That means all the darkness, all the negativity, all the junk, all the culture, all the, the, the nastiness that's in the world, we already are overcomers. So we need to stop acting like we're victims of the darkness and start acting like people who are stronger than the darkness because of who lives in us. So that makes us different. That's a mind shift. That's a shift. I'm no longer a victim. I hear people say, oh, Alan, I'm so concerned. I'm so afraid for my kids. I'm so afraid for my grandkids. We need to stop being afraid and stand up and go, we got answers. The greater one lives in us. We're greater than this. We're stronger than this because of our God who's bigger. And that makes a difference. Years ago when, when Christine, our, our second child, was about to be born, Joy was a little nervous and upset. Actually, she was ticked off because the, it was, it was, the, the child was coming late and she wanted the child to be born on Valentine's Day, and she's not happy, and she, and when, ooh, and when Joy ain't happy, uh, it's, it's, it ain't pretty. And so I'm, I'm praying, and the Lord just speaks to my heart and says, it's a girl, and she's going to be six pounds, 11 ounces. We were at a park. I was, we were just playing, and the Lord spoke. I, 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 she was walking. She was going to walk this child out. I said, stop walking. I said, Lord said, here's when it's going to be. I told her the day, the, the, the sex of the child, and how much the child weighed. So we went home. Went to the doctor and a, late, a nurse was in there as Joy was in labor and the nurse was in there. She said, oh, it's probably a stubborn boy. I said, no, it's a girl. And she weighs six pounds, 11 ounces. <laughs> nurse looked at me like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> Baby was born. It's a girl. <laughs> We're like, I'm like, she looked at me. I went, yep. I, she said, let's go weigh her. I said, let's do. And so we, <laughs> we went in there and we weighed the child. She weighs six pounds, 11 ounces. That nurse said, six pounds, 11 ounces. She looked at me. I didn't smile. I said, told you. And I walked away. <laughs> well, she goes and talks to another group of nurses. And, and one of them calls out to me. She said, hey, are you a Virgo? <laughs> I said, no, but I was born under the sign of the cross. And now I went, yeah. <laughs> but then a little bit later, a little nurse came up to me and she said, hey, I'm a Christian too. I said, good. Why are we whispering? 
Hey guys, why are we whispering? Why are we whispering? When, when the culture raises their head and they begin to tell us all the things we're not, why are we whispering? We know who we are. We know who our God is. We know how this thing turns out. We don't have to whisper anymore. Amen. We're overcomers because of our relationship with him. Here's the last thing. And I'm, I know I'm running a little bit long, but it's hot out there. So just bear with me. God still knows how to deliver his people out of trouble. He still knows how to do it. And God still has angels. And those angels didn't retire just because we got technology. There's over 280 references to angels in the Bible. They are real and they exist. Just because you can't see them does not mean they're not real. But occasionally we see them. My, the year I graduated from college, my mother had a, an appendicitis in that summer and her appendix ruptured and spewed all that poison into her system. She went septic and she was in the hospital for over 30 days. She wasn't getting better until, until one, one day she said she was just lying there in the hospital that she felt horrible. She said, and a man walked in the room, said he was very distinguished looking and he had a three-piece suit on. He walked around to her, her side of the bed and all he did, she said, was put his hand on her head and say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. And then he walked around her bed and walked out through the window. They were on the fourth floor. Now you went, some of you were let go now. I don't believe that. You weren't there. And some of you said, well, that was, maybe your mother was hallucinating. Well, if she was, it was very effective because she started getting better that moment and was out of the hospital within a few days and lived another 40 years in good health. So angels are still here. I was driving as a 19-year-old. I'm driving on a two-lane road. I'd borrowed a car at stick shift and a car pulls out in front of me. This was in 1978. A car pulls out in front of me and I didn't realize it had those really dim taillights. It's a 60s car. And I couldn't, I didn't realize the car had stopped right in the middle of the road trying to turn left. Cars were coming the other way. I slammed on brakes, and when I did, the car goes into a skid. I'm, I'm sliding sideways toward the back of the car. And then all I remember was saying one quick prayer, Jesus, that's it. And the car straightened out, went on the shoulder of the road, and then right back in the right lane, and off I went. It would have been great, except I didn't have my foot on the clutch or the, I, I, I wasn't touching anything. I was yelling, Jesus, and the car did that. Now I could say, well, I'm an amazing driver. I'm, no, I'm not. I'm an aggressive driver. I'm not an amazing driver. There are angels. They haven't gone away. They're still out there. And let me tell you something, if you drive in Houston, you need them. When I get to heaven, I know my angels are going to be looking at me going, bro, you have kept me busy. But <laughs> the idea is we've got a God that still delivers. In times like these, we need more of him. We need that relationship with him. That's going to be the difference maker. As times get darker, they don't have to get darker for us. we got light on the inside. Bow your head for a moment. If you came this morning and said, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I know it. He knows it. 
Or maybe you realize, I've gotten away from him. I, I once had the Lord in my life, but I've gotten away. We're going to say a prayer. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not going to have you come to the front. We're not going to try to embarrass anybody. But this is a great opportunity for you if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord or you know you've gotten away from him and you want our prayers. If that's you that I'm talking to, quickly just slip your hand up across the auditorium. Say, Alan, that's me. Would you pray for me? Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Got it. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe if you didn't lift your hand, you wanted to, you can still pray. Obviously, if you're online, I can't see you. But pray this prayer with us. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now. I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. And Father, for those who came out of darkness into spiritual light and for those who come back home, we rejoice with them. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you that you are our God and you're bigger than any lion that we face. Thank you for your love and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.